Well, thank you as always to all of those who have helped to put our worship service together. Uh, for Bob Eden, who was our liturgist this morning, for our Wesley Choir and our praise team who helped to lead our music, for Gary Brubaker, who puts everything all together for us. Thank you so much for all that you've done and continue to do. Um, we are closing out this sort of mini-series, this three-week series that we've done looking at the book of Esther, some of it which may have been familiar and some of it new or maybe just new takes on a familiar story. Um, hopefully, we've all learned something new as we've gone through this, as we've done this deep dive into the book of Esther, what its meaning is and what it has to say to us for such a time as this. Now, next week, um, we start Lent. Can y'all believe that? I can barely believe it myself. But next week, we start Lent, and so we start our new Lenten series called Blessed, or hashtag blessed, if, you're, um, if you are uh, fluent in hashtag language, um, but blessed. Um, as Lent comes every year, we're invited to stop waiting as we pause on the journey with Jesus towards his death and ultimately his resurrection. During this time, we're involved in our ordinary lives, days that are good, days that are bad, mornings that we wake up energized and ready to take on the day, and mornings that we just want to crawl back into bed, evenings when we look back on the day with joy and celebration, and evenings that we might look back with regret or frustration. And in the middle of all of these days that we actually have, we are blessed. So that starts next week. But before we get too far ahead, let's close out Esther. So previously on Esther, would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so um, previously on Esther, let's recap the story because we finished the majority of the story in the last couple of weeks. So character-wise, we have Esther, who is a Jewish woman who is named to be the queen. Um, there's the king. Uh, some translations call him Xerxes. Some call him Asusurus. I call him the king because it's just easier. Um, but the king... Um, is the other person, one of the other people in the story, who is really a vindictive, violent, ego-driven man. Um, then there's his number two guy, Haman, who hated the Jewish people, orchestrated a genocide of the Jewish people because Mordecai didn't bow to him. Mordecai um, is Esther's uncle, saved the people or saved the king from an assassination attempt, and reminds Esther of her call to save her people for such a time as this. So what's the story of Esther? It is full of drama, y'all. This is a dramatic story. I don't know if you need like TV. You can read the book of Esther. Um, so you have the story of King. The King, Xer King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus, is used to getting what he wants, calls his wife Vashti, who is the queen, to come and dance in front of his friends after they've had the six-month party um, wearing her crown and only her crown. She refuses. He banishes her, sends her away, um, and then writes an edict saying that men or women should always be submissive to men. Then um, a little while later, a few years later, um, decides that he uh, should have a wife. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, has, chooses a Jewish girl named Esther to be his wife, um, uh, which is unbeknownst to the king and uh, everyone else that, uh, that she's Jewish. So the king doesn't know that. And Esther's uncle Mordecai says that she should keep it that way. 
Then Mordecai hears about a plot to assassinate the king, um, tells Esther to tell the king she does. Ultimately, Mordecai is then given this big celebration, but um, Mordecai refuses to bow to uh, Haman, who is the number two guy. Um, and because Haman hated the Jewish people, um, he came up with a plan to, uh, because he was so upset at Mordecai for not bowing to him to um, have a genocide to kill all of the Jewish people. You know, logical, rational thinking. Um, and does this in the name of the king. So, um, uh, Mordecai tells Esther she needs to do something about this for such a time as this. So Esther invites the king to den- king and Haman to dinner, um, then uh, invites him to dinner again uh, before she gives her request. And um, in her request, she says that she is a Jewish woman and there's this plot to kill her and all of her people. King gets upset, was like, who did that? You did, um, but really at the direction of Haman. So the Haman, so Haman, um, his plot gets foiled, um, and the king is so upset that he orders for the death of Haman. Um, where more uh, on the gallows that Haman was preparing for Mordecai, um, there were these comically large gallows, like seventy-five feet tall. Um, so the, the gallows that were being built for Mordecai and for all the Jewish people, um, Haman was was himself killed on um, and used for his execution. Then um, Mordecai and Esther uh, gave the edict that um, the Jewish people could defend themselves to the ultimate, the highest degree um, that they could kill women, uh, women, men, and children of whoever attacks them or tries to kill them and steal all of their belongings in the hope that this would um, this would make people not want to do this. That's where we left off. <clears throat> so now, finishing on Esther, um, as we close this part of our story, um, Mordecai has become so powerful at this point, um, and the edict that he made about um, what how the Jewish people could defend themselves was really terrifying for some people and caused them not to not to participate. But of course, not everyone. And so the story gets back that there were 500 people um, who attacked uh, the Jewish people and were then killed um, ultimately uh, because of their attack, including the 10 sons of Haman. And the 10 sons of Haman, these are, these are their names. Parshandatha, Dalphin, Asfatha, Porthoth, Poratha, Adelia, Adriatha, Parmashatha, Erisai, Eridai, and Vasetha. Say that 10 times fast. You will in a minute. Anyway, so the, that's who's killed in kind of that first wave of what happened. And so um, the news comes back and the king asks Esther, now what? What do we do now? And so Esther asks um, uh, that Haman's sons who were killed, Pershandatha, Dolphin, Asfatha, Poratha, Adelia, Ardiatha, uh, Parashmanta, Arasai, Aradai, and Vasetha, um, asked that they be impaled on the same gallows as their father. Now they're already dead. She asked that they be publicly displayed. And this was actually a really common occurrence for the enemies of those who had been defeated to be displayed publicly for others to see. Um, it was a statement, 
pretty strong statement that like, hey, you cross us, this is what happens to you. Um, it was, uh, it, it's appeared other places in scriptures, um, like in Nineveh. Um, this was a really common thing that happened in Nineveh prior to Jonah coming to Nineveh. Um, the Roman Empire also continued to do this uh, with crucifixions. Um, that sometimes crucifixions would line the streets, reminding people of who is in charge um, and what happens when you cross us and how strong we are. So Esther asks for this to be done with uh, Haman's sons. And then Esther says, and then um, let the Jewish people be able to continue to protect themselves for one more day, um, probably because she knew whether by, you know, just hunch or by actual knowledge that some kind of retaliation um, or revenge was still coming. That just because one day had passed, it meant that probably more would be happening. And then as the story continues, she isn't wrong. Um, they protected themselves and the number of those killed grew to 75,000. What's noted in particular is that the Jewish people had permission to kill women, children, and men um, of those who attacked them and to plunder and take all of their possessions. And so um, what's noted is that they did not adhere to that. They didn't kill women, children, and men, and they didn't plunder. Um, so they didn't, um, they didn't do everything to the fullest extent of what they were, I guess, given permission to do. And so after all of this happens, then they rested. Um, and then the festival of Purim was initiated, which I'll give all, a lot of the instructions for that in just a minute. Um, so, you know, it would be really easy to stop there and just say the end. Um, but the story does continue in chapter 10, um, and it talks about the tax plan of the king and the role of Mordecai in the kingdom and in the history. But you will note that in the last chapter of the book of Esther, it mentions the king, it mentions Mordecai, does not mention Esther. But the name of the book is hers. <laughs> so um, that's how this ends. Isn't this a great story? Y'all, this is a, um, it's a wild story. Maybe you've never read it this closely or this in detail before, um, or you've heard it kind of briefly, a brief overview, but it is this dramatic story. Um, and in chapter nine, it basically says the reason why this story is told is to tell you why we celebrate the festival Purim. And it gives the instructions for Purim. Um, to celebrate what just happened and for generations to remember. Um, so some of the instructions said, as the month had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. These days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every family, province, and city. And these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. So this is a big deal. You have to remember to do this because you need to remember what happened. 
So Mordecai writes the instructions in this first letter that goes out to all of the kingdom. And then Esther wrote a second letter to the kingdom telling them about the festival and how to celebrate. Similar to how the king banished Vashti and then sent letters to the kingdom saying this is how women should now behave, um, or Haman's edict calling for the genocide of the Jewish people. Now, the letters of Mordecai and Esther announcing this festival and how to celebrate are very different than the letters by the king and by Haman. You'll see a very different tone between these two letters. So the festival of Purim is a festival that is still celebrated by the Jewish people. Um, here's what happens in the celebrating of Purim. There is the exchanging of food and drink. Um, so there's lots of food and lots of merriment. Um, there's donating charity to the poor. Um, in some places, it's given instructions specifically to at least two people. So at least two people must receive your charity. Um, but it's really important to remember to take care of each other. Um, so giving charity to the poor. Um, there is a special festival meal. Um, and in some places, there's really specific instructions on what to eat. Um, some of it is based on what it would have been assumed or presumed that Esther ate in the, um, in the palace. Things like seeds and nuts and beans. Um, things that were safe to eat, uh, even uh, if not in a kosher uh, place or a place where the food laws were kept strictly, so things that would be known to be um, clean um, or acceptable to eat. So a very specific meal. Um, and then there would be this public reading of the scroll of Esther, um, and this public reading would usually take place in the synagogue. Uh, and there, um, in the book of Esther, in the original form, there's no mention of God and there's no prayers or songs or anything like that in the book of Esther. But there have been additions made to the book of Esther um, that may have been made and written in response to the worship service or the worship that happened or to, um, to give a heavier emphasis on on God throughout the book of Esther. And so there are prayers and songs that are sung um, that are related to the book of Esther um, uh, after meals and during these celebrations. Now, the festival of Purim uh, is based on the word pur, um, which is a means to cast lots. Um, and it's how uh, Haman uh, decided when uh, the genocide of the Jewish people would happen by casting a purr um, or a dice or casting lots. Um, and so uh, what was intended for a negative um, turns into this festival of remembering. Um, other costumes throughout, or other um, other. Uh, Traditions or customs throughout this uh, this festival include wearing costumes or masks, similar to how um, Esther masked herself or hid herself and her um, identity from um, from the the palace. Um, there are public uh, celebrations and parades, much like the parade uh, Mordecai received from the king. Um, 
Uh, there are um, specific uh, pastries eaten called hamantaschen, um, which can be translated to Haman's pockets. And it's like a little three-cornered um, pastry filled with like fruit. Um, so hamantaschen, Haman's pockets, um, which is uh, reminding of Haman's um, stealing or keeping uh, money um, in his pockets. Um, some places the hamantaschen is translated to Haman's ears. And I'll let you imagine that for yourself. Um, food and drink is plentiful. Uh, men are encouraged to drink wine and any other alcoholic beverage kind of to excess. They're encouraged to, you know, party it up, um, to have this, this celebration of merriment and liveliness. It is this huge party to celebrate. Now, in one custom, um, it said, or in, in a custom, one of the customs of, ha of what happened in the dramatic readings is that you're supposed to pronounce all 10 of Haman's son's name in one breath. Parashanda, Dalphan, Afsa, Aportha, Adelia, Aridatha, Parmatha, Arisai, Aradai, I didn't even do it. I can't even do it in one breath, in multiple breaths. But so that was one custom. Um, and it was intended to be levity, to uh, make people laugh and enjoy and celebrate. Um, the dramatic readings that were done of the book of Esther, of the story of Esther, included, again, costumes and decorations and masks. But also, uh, whenever Haman uh, comes on stage, Haman is often characterized in incredibly caricature ways. So think about like the ways that most of the evilest evil guys um, on cartoons or movies or things come into scenes in the most absurd ways. That's how Haman was to be portrayed in some of these dramatic readings. Or whenever Haman comes on stage or Haman's name is mentioned, there's loud booing, boo, that's done. Or noisemakers are, um, are used to cover up Haman's name or to just um, distract from Haman. So again, this is intended to be a celebration full of life. It's a celebration celebrating God's goodness it's celebrating God's provision, that God got us through this. And it's also celebrating our heritage, celebrating the heritage of the Jewish people, because there was a time when that wasn't allowed to be celebrated. And to be fair, there is still anti-Semitism that happens even today. And so celebrating their heritage as a part of who they are and where they've been and where they've come is important to remember who we are. So it's celebrating heritage. Again, this is a celebration filled with joy and with liveliness. Like this is a carnival. Um, there are some religious festivals that are meant to be solemn and remembering uh, deep and, and important things. And this is remembering deep and important things with levity, with celebration. Because it's important to know who you are. And it's important to know where you came from. Because once you know those things, once you remember those things, you're going to know where you're going and why. This is who we are. People who God walks alongside, who God provides for every step of our journey. 
This is why we celebrate Purim. Now, Purim is not a Christian tradition. It is a Jewish holiday. And Purim is not Mardi Gras. Purim is not Lent. Purim is not a Christian holiday. To be clear, full stop. And I think it can help us to remember these things. I think it can help us to remember who we are, what we celebrate, why we celebrate, why we remember, and where we've come from. Because sometimes I think that we're just forgetful. We forget who we are and where we've been and where we're going. And so we need to be reminded. We're entering this season that is a season of remembering, remembering who Jesus is, remembering Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. And also remembering who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ, remembering who we are, where we come from, to know where we're going. And so this book of Esther, this story of Esther, I think it helps us, it helps remind us to remember. Remember where God has been the whole time that God is with you in every step of the way for such a time as this. Remember who you are and what you're called to for such a time as this. Remember that you are blessed to be a blessing for such a time as this. So may we carry these remembrances May we remember who we are. May we remember who God is. May we trust in the goodness of God, even if we can't see it. For such a time as this, may we remember. Thanks be to God. Amen.